What's up, guys? It is Richie here, bringing you season two, episode twenty-two, well, episode twenty-two of the F One podcast. Uh, I am here with Andrew and Erica. Hello, guys. How's it going? Hello. Great. How are y'all? And uh, well, well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Do a barrel roll. Um, but we also have a very special guest here. Uh, you know, the second time on the podcast, Tyler Hathrow, aka Red Bull Expert. Uh, Tyler, uh, welcome back to the pod, and thank you for coming to our event on Sunday. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to everybody that came to Blackbird Social House. Uh, it was an amazing event. We had over 30 people. It was an interesting race. We have a lot to talk about. Um, so why not? Let's get into this. The U.S. Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen, no matter what gets thrown at him, he will find a way to win the race. Um, whether if it's the 11 second penalty or being put at the back of the grid, he finds the way to do it. Wins his, uh, I think this is his 13 win of the season. And also it clinches um, the constructor's title for the first time since I think it's 2013, um, back when Sebastian Vettel was racing for uh, Red Bull. So I guess the first off, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Tyler. Um, Red Bull, mission accomplished, uh, capture the drivers capture the constructors and obviously especially with a very difficult weekend with a major player in their team passing away yeah i think it was really difficult uh, for a lot of the team members and you heard it even max speaking after the race uh after the win you know pretty um mild mannered in terms of his celebration you know i think a lot of the guys at red bull were really feeling the loss of uh dietrich so he was such a you know big part of the team and loved racing so much that's why he got into formula one as an energy drink some company right that's the whole the whole spirit of red bull and you know i think for the team to win and uh take away the constructors which was you know a little bit inevitable this weekend in particular was you know even that much more special so it was a lot of fun uh you mentioned it john john right off the top of the uh the show there but uh having everyone together to watch it was fantastic so shout out to you guys for throwing an amazing event for those of you who are not there make sure to be there next year i'm sure it will happen again because it was such a big success but uh yeah you know really fun weekend even considering the uh the sadder undertones uh due to the passing of, of the red bull owner great up until that pit stop and then uh we had to work for it a little bit harder than we would have liked um, but luckily everything uh, worked out and we, we got back into the lead with a few laps to go. This is like, I think, a typical race Dietrich would have loved to see. Um, yeah, we just pushed uh, till the end. Yeah, I think uh, especially, um, you know, I think this was our first big event. So in, we had a wide variety of fans, whether there was a couple of Mercedes, some McLarens. Actually, no, I think it was just Eric. I was the only One. McLaren fan <laughs> in the entire bar. <laughs> And then I was hoping there'd be someone else in orange, but no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think especially it's interesting now we actually want to, before I go into any further, but McLaren, um, you know, potentially Daniel Ricardo's last ever race, maybe in the United States Grand Prix, he doesn't really care. He'll show up in a horse. I mean, it was just such a spectacular way to show up for qualifying on a horse. Uh, unfortunately, though, you would like to think that having that many horseshoes present under you would give you a little bit more luck in uh, what may be your last race in the U.S. No such luck there. Daniel Ricardo out in Q1. And if you've seen some of the interviews with him, I feel really terrible because he is someone who still has a lot of passion and I think a lot of drive and is still working in incredibly hard to try to turn it around and bring in the results everyone was hoping he would have in that second season with McLaren. No dice 
uh, did finish a little bit higher than the standings than some folks, but that was due to a couple DNFs and some other things happening last minute with some other teams throughout the race. However, you know, just really emotional. It's very clear this guy still has a lot of love. And I'm hoping that regardless of whether or not he gets a seat for a team next year, that he's still very involved in the sport some way or another, whether it be an ambassador, someone who's kind of running around on the track, kind of like a Martin Brundle or anything like that, just, you know, was hoping for more because this is really the race where he kind of shines. Or the word on the street is that he is going to go back to Red Bull and be the number three. And to think about like three or four years ago, he was the lead driver at, uh, you know, for Red Bull to go down to the number three role to show how the mighty have fallen a little bit. But you could clearly tell in the interview post-race, he just did not want to fucking be there anymore. He was so, he was so pissed off and the demeanor. But, you know, that might happen when your constructor worries more about your digital ads on your car rather than making it faster. But, hey, you lose. I'm not and you know. Proud. But you know what? It's like we've said about Nikita Mazepin and some other folks. It may have been that they were just bringing in the money this year with some of these ads, knowing that they had a bit of a lemon of a car that was supposed to be performing really well after our expectations from last season. So I'm hopeful that while this didn't seem like they were funneling any of the ads into the car this year, this means that they've got a good chunk of change to put into the car for next year. So whether Piastri's in that seat as opposed to Daniel Ricciardo, I, I'm still hoping that the papaya pulls through in the long run. Speaking about uh, next year, um, one thing that really stood out to me, I think this was the first time during FP1 where we had five or six reserve drivers really stepping up into a car uh, to their, obviously, I know the regulations allowed it for this year, but we were able to see some impressive drives from some drivers. I mean, Antonio Giovinazzi only lasted, I think it was not even three laps. Um, and a half. The minute he gets it, the, the minute he gets into an F1 car, it just like just bad luck, Geo. Just it's All just Joe's right. gotta respect it though. Eh? He like is part of the conversation for Haas, shows up FP1, crashes the car, costs him millions of dollars, and then just leaves. It's the one thing he couldn't do. Like his, his competitor is Mick Schumacher, who feels like spends more time in the wall than on the track. So and <laughs> The first thing he does is, is put put the car in the wall. It's it's brutal. I I, I can cannot believe that he, he completely squandered that opportunity. And it's impossible to think that that's not going to play a factor in Gunter having to decide who's going to drive for Haas next year. So I was going to go say, ahead. I kind I kind of wonder, did Mick and Gio have a conversation where Gio was like, I've done this a few years longer than you. <laughs> I'll crash the car. That way you're definitely going to get the seat next year because why would they put me in that car now, right? I almost kind of respect the hustle way. That's what kind of... So on Saturday, I was just walking through Bay Blur, or Bay Blur area in Toronto. And outside of Italy, there was a busker. And he had the setup where he plugged his guitar into, um, well, or I thought he plugged his guitar into a speaker and he was playing along with uh, background music. But what he was literally doing is playing Spotify and, you know, playing music in the background and then literally just strumming his guitar with no sound. Just playing the same chords over and over again. You almost have to respect the hustle in that way. Similar to what Gio just did, you know, fake it till you make it, gets to the car, completely guts it out, and then leaves. Uh, I have another funny Toronto experience. Uh, the morning before we uh, did our event, I was walking on the waterfront, um, and I was wearing my Ferrari jacket. And next thing you know, I saw, like, two Mercedes. Um, let's talk about Mercedes for a second. But, like, we, uh, I saw two Mercedes uh, fans wearing their jackets, like, walking towards me. And I literally thought it was going to be like the Wild West. We're going to have like a showdown in like Queens Key. At least you weren't uh, wearing a Red Bull jacket. It would have been much worse. 
<laughs> well, well, you know, it's uh, George Russell, but that's literally what I was about to get into. Yeah. Um, Let's put it this way. The silver arrow really shot through that Ferrari. <laughs> you know, I, I generally do feel bad for Carlos Sainz. I think this is his sixth DNF of the season. And like, in, in terms that he's having the most points he's ever had in his F1 career in a season, he's won a race, he's got a couple of podiums, but I think like you could be turn. talking about Charles Leclerc as well. You oh gosh, this is- <laughs> they both had the same narrative, unfortunately. That's Ferrari. Finish him. Sorry, go uh, ahead, John. In the screw to rear Ferrari. I feel like it literally like Ferrari this year is literally like an episode of the office. Just like nothing is going right, or there's never it everything is going wrong. And it starts from the top and goes wrong. But but seriously, you know, Leclerc did battle back from uh, the twelve uh, grid twelve because um, also he had to he had a ten place grid penalty. You know, I think I think qualifying was really a good good show for both the drivers. I I mean, Max almost had it, and then it was Q three where he 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 bit the bullet and just wasn't able to come through. But you know, I think overall, um, you know, we can be happy with Leclerc's drive, but you know, you got to feel bad for. Science, especially he got pole position and you know he clearly looked like he could have uh won uh one but i think anything happens when you're on the grid too i think a lot of these tracks particular anybody who is p2 really has that advantage go, going into the first turn um and can it be able to hit hit over somebody still well and like shocking in the press conference after the race you know george russell actually taking accountability for his crash First time ever. First time. Like, yeah. You don't see that very often from Karen Russell himself. So uh, it was great to see him take accountability. And he, I, we'll get into this later, but the inconsistencies in FIA's penalties this weekend was ridiculous. It was like, let's just spin the wheel and see what it lands on. Yeah. So, so let me get this straight. Russell got only five seconds for his. And then all of a sudden, after a couple hours after the race, Fernando Alonso got 30 seconds. seconds. 30 seconds. No, but it, he classifies a 10-second stop and go. Uh, how do you qualify that post-race? What do you have him, like, go back into the car while the, while the track's empty and make, make him do a 10-second stop, stop and go pit stop with nobody there to see what that timing would be? It, just, it was ridiculous. And, you know, we have last year in Hungary when Max has a hole in the side of his car, literally held together with duct tape, and apparently that's safe. Yet Fernando's, like, Alpine seemed fine. But no, unsafe to drive. And Haas put their Haas put the protest in after when they could. So the fact that even FI listened to it is just it's such a joke from you know, they fired one of the they fired one of the race stewards this weekend uh, to try and get some consistency. And we literally got the opposite of that when it came to the penalty marker, because then I see a report that Stroll gets three, I guess a three-place grid penalty and a two-point deduction for that crash on Alonzo. Which, yeah, it's a dangerous crash, and I get at the time, but it's a pr- still a harsh penalty considering what, you know, Russell literally knocked a car out of the race based on his maneuver, and he only gets five seconds off and go. So it was literally like, let's just get the hamster wheel out or wheel of fortune, spin it, and see what we land on for the penalties today. Well, and that's kind of what you were saying was, it's understandable maybe giving a bit of a penalty and deducting some time, but at the very least, there were still a few laps left in the race. And I think in our chat, Andrew, it was you that pointed this out, like give them a flag, 
let them know something's happening. There's time to go and serve the penalty penalty in the race. So if it is a 10 second stop and go, it's, it's going to be more accurately timed as opposed to trying to retroactively apply that after everyone's gone and just assuming how long it would take someone to come into the pit lane, serve the penalty, and then get back out on the track when, you know, we're just kind of playing with the numbers after the fact. These are big, these are big implications. Like I know that with the constructors championship over, it's still big in the mid, we still got a pretty yeah. good midfield battle, midfield battle coming down the road here. And those are big implications in terms of, you know, having Alonzo being P seven and, you know, getting points close to Lando. Now all of a sudden they lose about five points net to McLaren. And that just tightens the battle for P four. So you almost have to wonder, because based on last year and having, you know, how the points kind of ended up being so that Lewis versus Max at, you know, it was tied going into Abu Dhabi. You almost kind of wonder if there's a little bit of behind the scenes here to shave points or to manipulate the system, the point system a little bit so that we have those big battles that are marketable coming down for the final four races, because like we really are like the only thing that people I think are really looking into is Max. Is he going to set the record? And if he does, by how many races does he win in terms of most wins in a season? Yeah, one, I was absolutely. Just, oh, oh. So many John. <laughs> no, Erica, Erica, go ahead. Sorry, I've already talked it up. I do think it's interesting, the point that Andrew brings up there about some behind the scenes moves going on in order to treat, to make it more of a interesting battle for the grid, for the midfield. But at the same time, you kind of have to wonder because if they want to make it more interesting in regards to who's going to be third, fourth, fifth in terms of constructors championship or anything of that sort. The fact that they really still are not paying attention to those mid-grid battles on the track, and yet they're trying to kind of position it in this way, maybe before a race, after a race, makes no sense to me. Because if you're going to try to frame it like there's this amazing battle, we've got some exciting stuff happening in the middle of the pack, show it to people. Don't cut to commercial the second someone pulls into the pit, like the second Max pulls into the pit lane, go and show what's happening elsewhere. Don't only cut over when someone's crashing. Focus on what's going on while it's important and it's happening live instead of trying to build up all this hype and then just letting people down. Because I think for a lot of folks, I mean, again, I'm a McLaren fan. I want to see what's happening as they're duking it out with Alpine, as they're kind of going up against, you know, Perez, if he's having an off day, sometimes he's kind of been caught in the midst of that too. Or even with Aston Martin, because Aston Martin was looking very competitive for a lot of this race until they, you know, had that unfortunate incident with Stroll and some of the wheel gun issues with Vettel's car. But it, it really isn't something that they put too much attention on. They're still only focusing on the front, the cars that are leading the pack. And, you know, it's, it's not that great for marketing. I mean, we were hoping we'd have a more exciting season this year where there was a little bit more competition, where it wasn't one team absolutely dominating, but we didn't get it. So you have to kind of alter your strategy and then follow through on it instead of just making an empty promise for what the race is going to be. Honestly, it's a great point. And I think lost in all the controversies of, you know, Red Bull cost cap, which I'm sure you guys have either talked about or we'll get to the on-track battles, um, all these other things that are happening has been the absolutely absolute disaster of F1 TV direction. And it's been a theme all year. It's been a theme at the start of the year. We saw it in Monaco. There's been a lot of controversy over the fact that uh, the actual Grand Prix there does their own race direction, and it was a complete disaster. Um, it's been a it's been a mess and a talking point all year, and it's kind of been overshadowed by all these other items that have been happening with the FIA and on track. Um, 
And, and it's something that's so easy to fix. Little things that you can take from other sports, such as, you know, the double box. We never see that in F1. Hardly. We saw it a couple times this weekend, but not nearly enough. That's an easy way to be able to show, you know, the race leaders, because obviously you have to center it around who's going to win the race, but also the other interesting battles that are happening further down the grid, to your point, Erica. And I think they're just shooting themselves in the foot, because if you're a fan of Aston Martin or Williams or Haas, you're never going to get to see your drivers on TV. The sponsors aren't going to be happy because they're not getting the same level of exposure. It's overall going to hurt the sport. So, you know, that's something in addition to, you know, the FIA figuring out all these, you know, technical and rules related, you know, inconsistencies, they really do need to nail down the TV direction because it's hurting their own product. It would be great that if you, F1 TV live, if you, you know, subscription could really do a great job by putting, you know, because you can change what feed you want from international to F1. That's fine. But you can also do, you know, the timing, but if you, and as well as the driver games, but if you had a, a menu option where you had all four of those available at the same time, picture in picture, kind of mm-hmm. like you do in a zoom call, I think you would sell so much better because you can then choose what you want to follow all at the same time with the, you know, with the audio in the background, and it won't take away from the overall experience. And if anything, it's just going to enhance it because then people get a chance to see an entire, like a holistic approach of how a race weekend goes. And I think it's also just going to increase some of the interest in the sport above, oh, this driver is cool. Some people might get more involved in the technical aspect because I think I touched on this after Montreal, but being there in person, if you're only looking at the cars that are leading the pack, you're going to see cars that look very similar, but there's a surprising amount of variation in the construction of each of these cars which comes down to how they sound. Cause like you can tell the engines are completely different, how they look, the shape of them. And I think that kind of might get people a little bit more interested. Cause there are some folks who will watch the first couple laps. And then once everyone kind of falls into the pack, they go, Oh, that's it. All right. This guy's in the lead. He had pull. We're just going to assume that things are on the fly. That does change on, on occasion, but nine times out of 10, you're going to have to try to find more, things to get people interested in and and to take note of if you want them to really pay attention to the sport, if you really want to grow that viewership and take it to the next level beyond what it is that we've been doing in the past. And I just want to add here, especially like, you know, some of the, uh, like some of us, well, like, for example, like Andrew, who supports like Austin Martin, like some of the smaller team, like the lower, I want to say lower tier teams. That's not, that's very disrespectful, but you know, where the battle in the midfield's going on, especially like Smash and Metal had a really good race this week. And like, did you, we really catch a lot of that? No. That's it was only saying. once he was toward the front of the pack. That's only when we started yeah. seeing him was when he was in like the yeah. top four. And it was like, how did he get here? We had mm-hmm. no idea how that happened. There was also a point in the race when Fernando Alonso was ahead of McLaren after getting into the crash with Lance Troll. And I'm literally thinking while I'm watching, like, how the hell did this happen? Yeah. It just sneaks up on you because they don't talk about it and they don't at show all. it <laughs> at all. It's so frustrating because again, you know, being an Aston Martin fan, we don't get many moments in a season where we can have any positive feeling. And when we're P3 and P5 out of the gate, you, know, you guys were there. I was a little, I, I was getting a little giddy, maybe a little too over, over the moon in terms of my thought process, especially when Vettel was leading P1. I'm like, maybe we have a chance to win this race. Bro, we almost got a noise complaint. Seriously? No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> Andrew, no, Andrew was was giddy up in the back of the bar. I thought maybe the neighbors were like, hey, turn it down. It's a Sunday, even though we were in a public 
place. <laughs> but like, it, it's crazy though, because when you look at the reactions online or on Twitter after the race and seeing, you know, Fernando Alonso like and Sebastian Vell show why these show showing why they're legends in the sport. It would have been great to watch that on TV. Yeah. 100%. Especially with uh, Vettel being so close to the end of his final season, right? If he's doing something amazing in a race when the guy is set to retire in a few weeks time, give him give him the respect, honestly, at that point in time and show him when he's doing amazing things. That's you've got enough coverage, you've got enough cameras around the track. Any good race director, like think about how many cameras are in an NBA game and how easily they're able to switch to a different camera in order to get an angle and the view of the player they want doing the thing that's really important on the court, whether it be like down by the bottom of the net, if someone's up at the top of the key near center court, no matter where you are, you've got eyes. And it's the same type of thing at F1. Yeah. So. And the best example of that was the end of the race. Once the leaders cross the line, all of a sudden the camera's on Vettel and we saw one of the best overtakes of the season. Unbelievable wheel-to-wheel racing against Magnuson. That was ridiculous. And that happens throughout, you know, probably every Grand Prix, but we don't get to see that because they're not showing Seb or those midfield teams on TV, right? So that's the perfect example. We need more coverage for the midfield. There's or it's like in Japan, when Max crossed the finish line, they kept it on his car. Instead of watching like the literal photo finish of Alonzo and Vettel that could have happened. But it was just, it was insane. Like how, how do you not show that immediately? Yeah. Unless you have Twitter, you never saw it. The only people who saw it were on Twitter. Seriously. It's, it's crazy. That's very true. Um, and I was on Twitter, so I did see it, which was great. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, with kind of the season being quote unquote over with three races left Tyler, John, Erica, what are you looking out of it? What are you, what are you looking to get out of these final three races in the season? Uh, I'll, I'll just go first quickly. I think it's, you know, Ferrari needs to kind of go on a high note, just given with what the season has been doing, uh, has been going, um, you know, we need to really kind of secure second place in the constructors and that can just be an internal win in itself. It's not the glory that we kind of wanted to have this season. Um, but, you know, I, I think it would be good for Charles and Carl's, you know, especially if we can get another win to end the, for, uh, not Ferrari, um, the Red Bull dominance. I'm also interested to see how the rest of the, the midfield plays out. And especially like Austin Martin, um, you know, McLaren, Alpine. Um, you know, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, well, not funny, but like, I think Fernando Alonso and Stroll kind of having a collision. It's like, okay, you guys are going to be teammates next year. I wonder how that conversation is going to go. But I think it's just one of those, cause like, you know, where you place in, in formula one really determines how much time you can get in like the wind tunnel or how much money you get, particularly the constructors. So that's the kind of the team. I'm also want to see if any of the other top three teams end up on the podium for some reason, like if we can get another book McLaren or an Alpine or something magical, uh, just kind of switch it up. That's what I kind of got my eyes on. Very cool. And I, and I think we haven't even determined the last spot for Haas yet so uh wonder if Mick's going to be resigned or if uh there's some random comments made at a press conference and it's like wait is that the real driver or not or williams we'll see logan Sargent potentially could be getting that second seed if he can finish top second f2 so non-formula one related but got our eyes on formula two i can go second quickly here because mine's short and sweet Red Bull perspective, Max obviously going for the record, breaking Seb's all-time win record in a single season. Really excited for that. And then two sneaky next weekend Mexican Grand Prix. I would love to see Checo 
win in Mexico. We saw how fired up his dad was last year for a podium. I imagine if he won at home, that would be really cool. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I just want to add, you know, that is a like a baseball stadium where that that grandstand is and apparently can hold like 20 something thousand people. It is. Really? It's insane. That is one of the best podiums in, in all of F1. So if he were to win at home, it would be it would be an amazing scene. So I'm, I'm looking forward to potentially seeing that next weekend. I would also love to see Checo podium again, but definitely win. I mean, one when he's won races this year, we've ended up seeing and hearing stories of some pretty spectacular parties afterward. And I think it would be that much sweeter if he was celebrating with everyone from back home, not just the few folks that are able to come out and support him when he's on the circuit. Uh, but I, yeah, I still think that there's going to be some Red Bull dominance. I would like to see a clean finish to the season for Ferrari. You know, we're past those reliability issues. I hope we're past some of the driver errors we saw earlier in the season. I hope, and I'm also very hopeful that we don't have any of the, you know, unfortunate calls that have been made around pit and tire strategy because they keep being insistent on the fact that nothing's wrong and they don't need to change the calls that they're making. They don't need to change the people that they have on staff. But I think this season points to the fact that you do need to make changes. So if you're not going to make those big changes, prove it to me, show me that you're going to learn from your mistakes and not do it over again. But I would also like to see a little variety. If we're going to see some Red Bull and some Ferrari on that podium, let's mix it up a little bit. I'd love to see, you know, if Alonzo can keep that race pace that he had this week in the Alpine to see him get up on there in a P3 position, that would be fantastic. And maybe even to see who else can pull something spectacular out of a car. Maybe Aston Martin is turning a corner and we might see some more really racy moves coming out of Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel. So not putting my hopes on McLaren to be one of the teams that's fighting for a spot there, but I'd love to see Alpine or Aston Martin showing some of the big guns, what they've got and continuing to push for a pretty awesome end to their seasons as well. For me, it's really going to be focusing on Vettel's final three races. Can, you know, wanting him to go out on such a high. And I really hope they F1 provides him the proper retirement outing that he deserves, you know, considering being the youngest world champion ever, winning four of them in a row. And, you know, being an ambassador of the sport, not only for its racing, but for from its sustainability side, I hope he gets the proper send off that he deserves. And whether that be maybe a podium finish, whether that be a tribute to him on the, um, on you know, in, in Abu Dhabi, it would be just nice to see that. On that note, we're going to end tonight's podcast. Uh, thank you again to Armin and Colin at the Blackburn Social House for hosting us uh, this uh, last Sunday. It was uh, again, and thank you to all the fans that came. Um, you know, Tyler, thank you for coming on today's episode to give your perspective on on the race. And obviously, uh, congratulations on a great season. Um, masterclass, I uh, can't, can't say enough. Um, but on that note, I'm going to sign off. I'm here with Andrew, Erica, and obviously Tyler. And Andrew, as always, please give us a proper send off. Thank you, everybody, for listening today to episode season two, episode 22 of the F1 podcast. Again, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on. Congratulations to Red Bull on getting securing the first double since 2013. It's nice to see some, I know, new blood at the top, even though it's an old face. But we're nice to see some new blood at the top. And Viva La Mexico next weekend. Let's hopefully see Checo Perez win his home GP and have the party that he truly deserves. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful week.